Okay. <clears throat> okay. Sexism and the military. Woof. Big topic today. The decision does not make us better at hunting and killing other men. Donnie O'Malley loves his country and was willing to die for it. But he says men need to hunt the enemy. I, 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 not once did any woman who wanted to serve in a combat role say, I want to make our ability to hunt and kill better. O'Malley says they serve a critical support role, but wants them kept out of combat. Women don't belong in that part of humanity. He says more troops who love their country will die for it, meaning their latest enemy comes from within. You're listening to Commanding Howdy folks, name's Sheely House, and you are listening to Command and Signal. We're a limited-run podcast about vets, propaganda, patriotism, and other bullshit. Today's episode is about sexism. What is sexism? That's a loaded question. Well, more or less, it's the discrimination against someone on the basis of sex or gender. Honestly, as far as definitions go, this has been one of the easiest yet. But what's not easy is explaining how the military treats women. Because it downright sucks. Let's listen to what some vets have to say about it. Is there sexism in the military? Uh, yeah. Yes, yes. There's actually ab- there is absolutely sexism in the middle military for sure. Um, I think it goes both ways though. Yeah, that's. I don't even know how to talk about something like that without just spending an hour on the topic. Honestly, is there sexism in the military? Does the sun rise in the east? and set in the West? Come on, ask me a real question. There are a lot of issues we could focus on right now. Sexual assault, quid pro quo, rumors, disparities. My God, the list goes on. But what I want to focus on is systemic issues, specifically culture. When we think about military culture, we think about one that is hyper-masculine which many would call perhaps toxically masculine. Now, for all my bro vets out there just screaming about the word toxic masculinity, I wanted to find that for you real quick because I think that there are those that have a misconception about what toxic masculinity means. According to an article in the New York Times by Maya Salam, toxic masculinity was defined as suppressing emotions or masking distress Maintaining an appearance of hardness, violence as an indicator of power. I really want you to think about that last one. Violence as an indicator of power. That really gets to the heart of toxic masculinity. It's not being gritty. It's not chopping wood. I don't know. It's not any of that stuff. What it is is ideology in which aggression and violence are promoted as manly traits as regular masculine traits so those that's the difference between toxic masculinity and actual masculinity does that make sense so you might be wondering where toxic masculinity has reared its ugly head in the military well now with more on that nude photo scandal rocking the Marines, a private Facebook group with thousands of members inside the Corps shared explicit images of women without their knowledge. In a shameful display of fucking bullshit, 
Marines in the Facebook group Marines United were sharing nude pics of women in the Marine Corps without their consent. And that's just the tip of the spear. Other Facebook groups like JTOTS, Pogue Boot Fuck, and fucking Wook all participated in various social shaming practices in which they take a woman's photo without their consent and subject them to sexualized ratings, degradation, and in some cases, doxing. It's gross. It's really so fucking gross. And as I was writing all this down, it begged the question, what's it like to be a woman in the military? So I called one up. Staff Sergeant Lupe Campos is an active duty Marine, and she spoke with me about her experiences. Very basic. What's it like to be a woman and a Marine at the same time? Being a woman in the Marine Corps, it's difficult, but I don't think it's difficult for what most people usually think it would be. What I mean by that is a lot of people are like, oh, you know, you must have to sacrifice a lot of things. And maybe, you know, you don't get to start a family. You don't get to be feminine. You don't get to be a girly girl, which none of that is true. Um, It's more of the difficulties come from a personal challenge. Uh, because there are different standards for physical fitness um, metrics for females and for males. But if you're a female in the Marine Corps, chances are you're an alpha female. And if that's the case, like with me, you don't just stay with the standards that you're given to as a minimum to pass. You're like, no, I want to be as fast as them. I want to be as smart as them. I want to do my job way better than I'm expected to. And so it comes from a difficulty of a place that you challenge yourself to just consistently keep up with whoever it is, whether it's a male or a female. I feel like there's an elephant in the room. You know, you don't have to sacrifice your femininity. Um, you know, if, you, if you're if you a woman who joined the Marine Corps, you're probably a, a, a more alpha A type personality. But I think the elephant in the room is, is um, the friction that may exist, um, the, the sexism that, that exists within the Marine Corps, uh, especially when we think about JTOTS, uh, the Marines United scandal. Um, Mm-hmm. What has what has that been like for you? Have you run into consistent uh, issues? Have you run into more sporadic issues? Is it onesie twosie? But the onesie twosie are pretty, for lack of a better word, fucked up. Like, what is what is um, what's your experience been? So, on a personal level, I've been very. I don't know if it's luck or blessed or whatever, but I have been very fortunate to not have experienced sexism directly towards me. Uh, More than anything, it's been, I guess, indirectly, whether it's, you know, somebody, a leader in the Marine Corps said, oh, you know, uh, maybe something that's not necessarily appropriate about females. And then, you know, when word gets back to me and maybe I bring it up to them, they're like, oh, I didn't mean like, you know, for you guys, I just meant in general. So there's definitely a lot of that on the culture side of it. Um, uh, Certain instances, like, for example, JTOTS or Marines United, those issues. I mean, of course, that was upsetting because I I wasn't on the page, but I had a lot of really, really close friends who they happened to be on those pages. So, you know, uh, photos that they shared with their significant other somehow made their way into a public domain. And that's obviously awful. It's uncomfortable and it's a violation of privacy. But um, what was even more upsetting was just to see people who were participating in the sharing and people who were participating in, you know, commenting and just disseminating that throughout the realm. Um, that was heartbreaking because, you know, we're taught the Marine Corps is a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood. Like, you have to have each other's backs. So why is this important? Well, beyond the fucking obvious that women are being harassed just for being women and we should want that to stop, this is important because, like race, gender is another way foreign governments are manipulating us. To refresh your memory, the VVA wrote a report on foreign governments trying to manipulate veterans. 
Early campaigns, we observed and analyzed targeted individuals online at random using easily discoverable methods. Newer methods use sophisticated cyborg approaches that synergize large-scale automated operations with precisely crafted disinformation injection and hijacking efforts by human operators. The goal of these operations is not simply to go viral or to have a high Nielsen score, so to speak, but rather to influence the beliefs and narratives of influential members of key American communities. These online campaigns have long targeted U.S. veterans and military service members. Information operations on social media exploit societal cleavages in U.S. veterans and military communities and work to promote narratives that American democracy is irrevocably broken. The report's author, Christopher Goldsmith, wrote, Content featuring women in uniform almost always highlights their gender, though it may be to exploit them in a sexual manner, to doubt their femininity, or capabilities as service members. Regardless of the spin that foreign admins put on the content that features military women, memes of this category are often the most effective engagement bait. Now the question turns to why is this effective? Why is it the most effective? Well, it's a wedge issue. And as they were mentioning before, sexist ideations permeate society, but especially permeate the military. To get a top-down view, I spoke with retired Lieutenant Colonel Kate Germano. She was the commanding officer of 4th Battalion at Paris Island when she was fired. And the reason for her firing? Well... Kind of bullshit, and I'll let her tell her story. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Kate Germano, and I am a retired Marine. Uh, I've been out of the Marine Corps for the past few years, going to school, and have my own uh, leadership coaching and change leadership business. Uh, and all of that happened as a result of my experience in the Marines when I was fired from command and... Uh, was in charge of the only all-female unit in the entire Department of Defense. So you you mentioned um, you know your experience being being fired as being um, the commanding officer for Fourth Battalion at Paris Island. Mm-hmm. Um, let's jump right into it. Why why were you fired? Well, I mean, the Marine Corps' view of why I was fired differs with my own perspective. Uh, in that, the Marine Corps basically painted me as a a Marine who was mean to her Marines, the Marines in my charge. And so uh, that conflicted (laughs) directly with the reality of what I was doing down at Paris Island in uh, really trying to improve the quality and caliber of the female Marine that we were making down there. You know, I watched your, uh, your Ted talk and you, you cited that you had improved the refer range scores by, I think it was like 50%. and, And that seems to go directly to the military's favorite buzzword, lethality that you were, you were yeah. churning out Marines who are more <laughs> right. lethal. Right. It's, it's, a, it's supremely ironic that uh, Mattis used that term as the secretary of defense, because that was exactly what I was trying to do. I was trying to make my female recruits tougher, faster, stronger, better shots. And so the, the point of that was to give them credibility when they graduated from boot camp so that their male counterparts would see them as partners versus something somehow uh, less qualified. Uh, And yet, even though it was making the entire Marine Corps stronger, um, I was portrayed as being too hard on my female recruits and Marines. 
What do you think that says about the Marine Corps that their interpretation was that you were being too hard on your recruits? Yeah, I mean, I think it's unfortunate because it fits into the whole dialogue about women as leaders. So, uh, you know, for men, if you are an aggressive leader, that's a good thing. But if you're a woman and you are aggressive and determined, then somehow that equates to being mean and not being able to get along with people. And unfortunately, that was the type of uh, gender bias that I experienced when I was at Paris Island and then uh, certainly after I was fired. So I do want to switch back a little bit to the TED Talk here because when you were in the TED Talk, you also mentioned um, seeing the the chairs at the EGA ceremony after the Crucible, that that big culminating event. And that to you kind of signified something. So I was hoping maybe you could kind of touch on that a little bit for the audience. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to someone this morning and they called them fainting chairs and that made me laugh really hard because I was thinking of like the chaise lounge in the 19 or the 1880s with the woman with her hand over her forehead. But that was kind of what it was like. It was like the Marine Corps was trapped in the 1880s in terms of their perceptions about the strength and abilities of women. And so when I was at Paris Island, one of the first things I noticed was that uh, after my initial hike, uh, you know, the commanders often participate in the crucible hike. And it is the culminating event of the culminating event at boot camp. It's a nine-mile hike, and you end up on the parade deck in front of the big, beautiful statue of Iwo Jima. And that's where the recruits become Marines in the ceremony. And what I noticed was when we pulled up into the uh, parking lot of the parade deck, I noticed that the male recruits were already formed up in their square formation, and the leaders were standing behind them. And then when we were going to form up the female recruits, I noticed that the drill instructors immediately set about putting up uh, a row of chairs behind the formation. And I thought, wow, that's really weird. And when I asked the question, I was told that the chairs were there in case the female recruits were too tired or sore to stand. And all I could think of was, wow, you know, this is the first opportunity, literally one of the first opportunities that the male recruits have had to see the female recruits in training because they were so segregated in terms of space and time. And all I could think was, wow, if I were a male recruit and I had pushed myself really hard in the crucible, as they all should have, and I looked over and saw the female recruits go to sit down because they were too tired or too sore, I would think, man, you know, did they really earn that? And so I set about changing that dynamic by taking away the chairs. And that that symbology really represented my whole experience at Paris Island and really trying to eliminate those negative stereotypes about women. You know, you mentioned that uh, that gender segregation in Paris Island. Do you think that that, do you, do you agree with the Marine Corps line that by removing uh distractions, it helps people um, better train? Or do you think that that actually uh, hinders uh, later, you know, being Marines in the environment and having to work mm-hmm. together? Like, is it is it a good thing? Or is it a bad thing? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, what I would say is if that were really true, we would have men and women working separately from the time they start in the Marine Corps until the time they leave, because you can't separate the two. Uh, the bottom line is that women and men are required to work together in the military every day as partners, as trusted agents. And unfortunately, when you start uh, the values inculcation period, which is at boot camp, 
when you start that by separating men and women, because you think the women are distractions to the men in training, that creates a mindset right off the bat that somehow women are not to be trusted, that we're not equal partners and that we're not on the same footing and, and, you know, can do the same jobs. And so I think that the proof in the pudding there is that if you look at the Marine Corps, even though it's the smallest service with the fewest women, it is also the service that has the highest rate of sexual assault, sexual harassment, uh, binge drinking, uh, you know, all of these bad things. Uh, that speak to the culture, and the culture is so segregated that uh, I, I definitely see the two as being related. You know, you, you said uh, that that the segregation, the cult, the gender segregation, creates in a, a culture where women are not looked at as equal partners. And yeah. um, I, I'd like to ask, you know, as as a as a woman who was who was in the the Marine Corps, what's it like being a woman in the military? Mm, such a good question. Um, I can tell you I spent I spent the first five or six years in the Marine Corps denying that there were any differences. And then I spent the next 10 years in the Marine Corps trying to convince myself that if I worked harder than my male counterparts, that I would be taken seriously. And then I spent the last couple of years in the Marines, particularly during the Paris Island uh, experience, really convinced that because of the culture, no matter what I did, I would never be seen as credible as my male counterparts. And so that experience was really disorienting and um, it was difficult. I mean, when we think of leadership in the Marine Corps out of all the services, the, the Marine Corps model for leadership and for heroism is all masculine. So, we grow up thinking that a certain style of leadership is the only acceptable style of leadership. And then when women reach a certain age and rank and they're working with even more senior men, style has negative connotations to it. Um, so it, it creates a lot of cognitive dissonance. It was a really difficult experience. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very different from my experience. Um, so you, you know, you, you laid it out within, within a timeline. You said the first five or six years, you, you felt like you were maybe denying that there were differences. The next 10 mm-hmm. years, you were trying to con- convince yourself that if you worked harder, you'd be taken seriously, which is a, a, a line I've heard from from a lot of my um, yeah. uh, my fellow Marines. And mm-hmm. you said that in the last few years, you were convinced that because of the culture, you would never be seen as credible. And that does, mm-hmm. I think, have a direct line to when we look at some of these online Facebook groups uh, like JTOTS or Marines United, I I think we see that kind of manifestation there. Do do you agree with that line of thinking? I do. And I think, again, it goes back to how we inculcate the values of the Marine Corps in Marines from the second they step really onto the yellow footprint as recruits, right? So we teach at the recruit depots that women and men have to be separated because they can't be trusted, right? And so if we say, and and trust is everything to Marines, like if we feel like we can't trust our partners on our right and our left, then we're not going to survive in a combat environment, which is exactly why we exist. So this idea that women can't be trusted um, becomes 
part of the below the iceberg sort of culture. And then those groups that you mentioned on Facebook, they end up speaking to that part of the culture, which is sort of covert, right? It's under the surface. Everybody knows it's there, but nobody really talks about it because it goes against the alleged values of the organization. So there's this disconnect between the stated values and then the values that we see in action every day. Um, and I think all of that is very clearly at display in those groups. You know, I'm going to ask, I think probably maybe a bit of a, a loaded question here. Um, mm-hmm. But when you think about your experiences in the Marine Corps and the, the cognitive dissonance that that's going on um, between what uh, the above and below the iceberg uh, analogy you made, mm-hmm. Would you recommend the Marine Corps in its current state to women? Yeah, gosh, that's such a great question. I mean, John, I ask myself that question virtually once a week. I I don't want anyone to think that I don't love the Marine Corps. I had so many great experiences, and I had a lot of opportunities to do amazing things, to work with amazing people. And I I was part of the pipeline in bringing young men and women into the Marines. And so um, I took this obligation of making it the best experience it could be for those kids. I took it very seriously. So I love the service. Um, But I have to tell you, I'd be concerned if I were a parent of an 18-year-old girl or woman who said she wanted to join. I would be concerned because we still have a legacy of senior leaders in the Marine Corps who haven't fully accepted the same things that younger Marines may have. And that is that, you know, 18, 17 year old kids joining, they've seen women excel as athletes. They've seen women excel in student government, in jobs. And yet those generals and those senior sergeants major They have a a disconnected mindset where they don't believe that that's possible. And they do believe that the the differences between men and women are so pronounced. And they don't understand how maintaining that mindset contributes to negative treatment of women. Um, So I, I honestly, I have to say that I would have really strong reservations about recommending the Marine Corps to, to young women at this point. I think we need a couple of years of growth and I think we need to call some senior leaders out of the service before we see things change. I think that's a really powerful thing to say uh, that, you know, cause I, I know that yeah, I'm a Marine too. I know I have the same feelings you do of, of loving the, the, the Marine Corps and, having had such good experiences in it. And yet to say that you still would have reservations, I think that that says a lot. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, if you think about it, not to cut you off, but I I think it's it's one of those things. It's like every time I think we start to make progress, we take five, five steps back. And so it's a challenge, right? And so I think we need to see a lot more consistent forward momentum before I could feel comfortable telling a young woman, absolutely, this is going to be an amazing experience for you. And it's going to be an environment where you're safe and you're valued and you're trusted. So I want to pivot here for a second. Um, mm-hmm. When I was actually talking just earlier today with my wife about this, uh, this interview, um, one question that she actually brought up that I thought was a really interesting question was, we hear a lot about what is it like to be a, a woman in the military, 
but we don't mm-hmm. actually ever really hear a lot or explore exploration around what it's like to be a, a woman veteran. And I would assume that's different than what it's like for me. So could you maybe speak on that a little bit? Well, it's interesting that you would assume it's different and, and I, it, it absolutely is. And so if you just think about, we, we bring men and women into the military under the guise of, you know, this is a great opportunity for you to contribute to the greater good. And then immediately women see themselves as not fully part of the team. They serve and then they get out. Well, that, the culture follows them, whether they're men or women, right? So the culture of exclusion doesn't end the second a woman or a man signs that ED-214. It follows into every type of veteran setting. And even if you think about, you know, what does the average person think a veteran looks like? Well, they're not going to say a woman who's 5'4", weighs 118 pounds, you know, has long hair, they're not going to say me, they're going to say you. Mm-hmm. So um, the veteran experience is very different for women, not due to their own design and their own making, but because, you know, the military culture follows us out of the service and that becomes what we know and what we think is right. So until we change the military culture in the service, that veteran culture is going to lag behind. So when we think about that, that culture, which, has really permeated, I think, throughout this entire conversation that that culture of of separation, of exclusion, of of mm. you can't trust uh, women that are in the Marine Corps. It it leads me to uh, I think I had mentioned to you that that a lot of this podcast is coming from uh, a report from the Vietnam Veterans of America on how foreign actors were trying to stir up trouble in online veteran communities uh, using kind sure. of wedge issues. And their mm-hmm. frequent targets that were cited in the report when they were doing their testimony to Congress was Colin Kaepernick, Black Lives Matter, and women in the yeah. military. And yep. especially along the lines of like sexualization, especially when we think of like Marines United. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, I mean, I think maybe we might be retreading ground here, but just w- what do you make of that? Yeah. I, so I was uh, I, immediately what came to mind was this idea of the other and how when we're trying to create dissension within a group, it's, it's easiest to do so when we can capitalize on suspicions that we have about people who are not like us. And so you see this uh, in all kinds of um all kinds of groups that like to use marginalized populations. Uh, we see it in politics today. I mean, we can see it in the way we talk about immigration um, and the way we talk about who does the work in our world in the U S. And so I think it all comes down to, there's this formula, uh, you know, that foreign agents are really smart and they know will work in Americans. And that is to cause unrest and distrust by focusing on what makes us different rather than what unites us. So building off of that, you know, the, the causing of the unrest, the distrust, mm-hmm. uh, the dissent, um, one of the words that were used a lot in this report was, was feminism. And so mm-hmm. uh, one of the goals of this podcast is literally to just, just lay out some of the realities about things. Cause there's a lot of people that I think have a very, incorrect definition of what feminism means. So I was hoping mm-hmm. maybe you could just define what that means to you and, and really maybe even in the broader spectrum of what that means in the military. Mm, so interesting. You know, feminism has such a negative connotation in the military. And I think that's because traditionally in our society, it's been used 
as a way to deride a form of radicalism. And again, when we talk about feminism, it's used in a derogatory way because it, it foments distrust. And there's a lot of brain science behind that, right? So there's a lot of neuroscience to support that as human beings, we are wired literally to prefer automatically people who look like us, um, both in our physical uh, manifestations and then just in how we act. So using feminism as a dirty word is a way to automatically create distrust. And I think that that works well in the military because, you know, there are a lot of uh, stereotypes about women. In the broader sense, though, for me, feminism is about equity. So it's this idea that we want to look at a system and be able to define where there might be obstacles that prevent people from having the same career path, for example, as a white man. And if, if you look at the system and you look for those obstacles, then you remove the obstacles and the, it stands to reason that most people will succeed in, in achieving success. The challenge is that the way we've gone about um, gender integration in the military is we have created this mindset that there isn't enough for all of us to go around. So there's a sense of scarcity, which then contributes to a lot of negative attitudes having to do with women. And so I think that the word feminism is so rife with negativity and it stands, it's, it's linked inextricably to this, the way we talk about, well, we're going to have to take something away from this person if we're going to give something to her. And it shouldn't be that way at all. It's about equity. Well, thank you. Um, so that mm-hmm. that is the crux of, of, of a lot of the pre-written questions, if you will. You know, I wanted to keep this hyper-focused. Um, so I think yeah. the, the last thing I want to touch on here is I am, I, I can be ignorant. You know, I, I, I don't know everything. Um, and so... None of us do. <laughs> yes, of course. So yeah. what, you know, is there something that I didn't ask or bring up or something that maybe you were thinking while we were talking that just hasn't been talked about yet that you think would be important to, to mention? Just what, what's on your mind? I think it's always important to mention that when we think of leadership and we think of leading, there's not a way to lead men versus a way to lead women. And so I really think it's helpful to frame the discussion about gender in the military in the context of that, because it does, it, it does a lot to limit kind of these feelings that well, women need this and men need that. And it's like, well, no, we're human beings. We need structure. We need discipline. We need consequences. We need clarity. All of those things are central to the way that our brains work. They're not discriminating. In other words, there's no difference between the way a man's brain works and a woman's brain. So part of this work that I've been doing since I got out of the Marine Corps to make sense of what happened to me has a lot to do with the neuroscience of our brains and how we are wired as human beings and what we can do to get past that. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. And good luck to you. To close this episode out, I want to play something for you. It's former Marine Corps Commandant General Robert Neller's comments about the Marines United scandal. When I hear allegations of Marines denigrating their fellow Marines, 
I don't think such behavior is that of true warriors or warfighters. As warriors, we all know that cohesion and trust within a unit and between Marines is vital to success on the battlefield. Right now, we all need to be focused on getting better, becoming more lethal, working day and night to stay ahead of potential adversaries, getting ready for the fight today and the one ahead. Not hiding on social media, participating in or being aware of actions that are disrespectful and harmful to other Marines. It's embarrassing to our Corps, to our families and to the nation. General Neller says trust is vital to success on a battlefield, which is an interesting choice of words coming from a man who also continued the policies of distrust towards women in boot camp that fostered a core-wide sexism. See you next episode.